more suit. The father said, settled it? You bumbling idiot, we've been living off of that money for over five years now. <laughs> that was pretty, Sorry. <laughs> I'm also reminded of a man who was once chosen for jury duty, and he wanted very much to be dismissed from serving. He tried just about every excuse he could come up with, but nothing worked. Finally, on the day of the trial, he decides to just one more shot, and he's going to get out of this jury duty. So just before the trial begins, he asks the judge if he could approach the bench. And so he comes forward to the bench, and he says, Your Honor, I feel I must be excused from this trial since I am prejudiced against the defendant. I took one look at the man in the blue suit with those sneaky little beady eyes and that dishonest face, and I said, He's a crook. He's guilty, guilty, guilty. Therefore, Your Honor, I could not possibly remain on this jury. The judge glared back at him and he said, That man is his attorney. Now get back to the jury box. (laughs) And then there's the story of Farmer Joe, who decided that his injuries from the accident were serious enough to take the trucking company responsible for the accident to court. Now, in court, the trucking company had the fancy lawyer, and he was questioning Farmer Joe. And Farmer Joe was a good country man. He was kind of laid back and, and slow to, to anger and speak. And, and the, the, the um, lawyer says, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Joe responded, well, I'll tell you what happened. I had just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the... I didn't ask for details, the lawyer interrupted. Just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Joe said, well, I had just got Bessie into the trailer, my favorite mule, and I was driving down the road, and the lawyer interrupted again. Judge, I am trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrol officer on the scene that he was just fine. Now, several weeks later, after the accident, he is trying to sue my client, and I believe this man is a fraud. Please tell him to simply answer the question. And by this time, the judge was fairly interested in Farmer Joe's answer, and he says to the lawyer, I'd like to hear what he has to say about his favorite mule, Bessie. Joe thanked the judge. Well, as I was saying, I had just loaded Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer and was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign and smacked right into the side of my truck. Well, I was thrown into one ditch and Bessie was thrown into the other. Oh, I was hurting real bad and didn't want to move However, I could hear old Bessie just moaning and groaning, Your Honor. I could hear, knew she was in terrible pain and, and just in a bad way, just by her groans. And shortly after the accident, the highway patrolman came up with the lights going, and he could hear Bessie moaning and groaning in the ditch also. So he, he went over to her, and after he looked at her and, and he saw the condition she was in, he took out his revolver, and bang, he shot her right between the eyes. Then the patrolman crossed the road with his gun in his hand. He looked at me and said, Your mule was in bad shape. I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? Fine. You know, it's it's kind of funny. No, not the mule. Let me finish kind of funny that, you know, lawyers have been getting a bad rap from us for years. Many, many of them 
uh, just for a long time, we've been making fun of lawyers and, and, you know, mainly because, well, they deserve it. Um, but, you know, even back in Jesus's day, the only difference between a lawyer and a catfish is that one is a bottom feeding scum sucker. The other's a fish. So, oh, OK, I'm done, Greg. So, I didn't write any of those. They just kind of go along with where we're headed. OK, um, <laughs> that last one was my favorite, by the way. <laughs> Here's the thing. Even all the way back in Jesus' day, the lawyer, the, the, uh, the person who knew the Old Testament law, as it were, was still the quote-unquote professional. They knew what the fi- first five books of the Bible said about God's law. And they also knew the laws of, of the land, of where they lived. And So kids, I have a few questions for you. You guys ready? Now, Jesus was a famous teacher, okay? He was a lot more than that, but for right now, he was known as a famous teacher. And many people asked him all kinds of questions. Now, here's what I want to know. Suppose you met a famous teacher like Jesus, and you could ask him one question. What would you ask him? Let me see a hand. Who wants to go first? What would you ask Martin? What would you ask him? You don't know? Okay. Blake, what would you ask him? When will we go to heaven? That's a good, good question. Good question. When would you, what question would you ask, Jordy? How many people are up there in heaven? Another good question. Dylan? How do we gain wisdom? Another good question. Uh, just do everything your father does. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That wasn't in the notes. It just kind of. Kate. What will be up there in heaven? JT. How tall are the golden gates? Tom. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. Sorry. <laughs> Hannah. How do you get through the golden gates? All good questions. You already have one. I'll have more, Blake. Hang on. We'll get back to it. All these are great questions that we could ask Jesus. And, and here is a lawyer who came to Jesus and asked him a question. I don't think he asked it really because he wanted it to be answered. I think he was trying to trick Jesus. Okay. Go ahead and turn in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And we're going to go through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm going to tell you this story just as it happened with Jesus. You guys ready? (laughs) The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law, the lawyer, if you will, replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, there are a few things we need to understand here. And the main focal point, I'll make this real easy because I want everybody to get it. The main focal point for today is that when we get to the heart of the matter, what I want you all to understand is that God's intention for us is to simply love him with all that we have and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And to understand this, our neighbor is not necessarily the person we like. Okay? Our neighbor is the person in need. And we need to keep that in mind. I have a few questions, and I'm going to kind of break these down verse by verse. But my first two questions go this way. From verse 25, a, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus, a, a lawyer, if you will. He comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question. And, and you need to understand that this man in Jesus' time would be a student of the laws of God as they were recorded in the Old Testament and in the Bible. He would know, all right? And so he comes, and he, he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's this man's purpose in asking this question? Do you guys know? Do you know why he was asking this question? Why was he asking? Say it again. Okay. Okay. It doesn't really say in the first five books exactly what you need to do to live eternally, to live in heaven. Okay. Good answer. Anybody know why else he was asking the question? He was testing Jesus. He wanted to test Jesus. And he asked that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you guys know what you need to do to inherit eternal life? Jordy. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Hannah. Love the Lord your God. Kate. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. JT. Love Jesus. All good answers and very good starts. Let me ask you this. What do you think that the lawyer knew about eternal life? From knowing the Old Testament, knowing that God created everything, what do you think he knew about eternal life? Any ideas? That's a tough one. Go ahead, give it a shot. Okay, <laughs> he didn't know much of anything. Hold on one second, I'll come back to you. Here, here's the thing. From that time, a lot of people in Jesus' time, what they knew about receiving eternal life came from following the law. That it was about sacrifice. It was about a, a propriety of worship. It was about bringing certain things, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and things of that nature. And they had to keep redeeming themselves through those things. Okay? And so he's saying, okay, we do all this. Jesus directs the lawyer, he says, to answer this question. He says, what does the law say? He says, you know the law. What does it say? And what is written? How do you read it? He knew from the start in this conversation where this man's heart was. 
And he knew that the man wanted to test him a little bit and try to trick him up. And, and in my opinion, this is my opinion, okay? So this is not from the Bible, it's just my opinion, is that this man is a lot like Saul. He knows the laws of Moses. He has the first five books of the Bible memorized and, and many other things. And he knows all this at this point in his life. And he knows the answers and where they can be found. And I think he's, he's looking to trick Jesus. And here, here it is, verse 27. What is the answer to the questions that's found in Scripture? He replies with the correct answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, or excuse me, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because in that time frame, if you're going to do those things, you're not going to be sinning against God. You're not going to be sinning against your neighbor. You're not going to do what you shouldn't do. So Jesus, he replies to the lawyer, do this and you will live. Now, according to what we've read so far, this one's multiple choice. What is the most important thing to Jesus? Is it what a person knows about the Bible, what a person does, or how a person treats other people? There you go. It's, it's where your heart is. The heart of the matter is, how is this law you're going to treat other people? And he asked a second question. He says, who is my neighbor? Because he wanted to justify what he had said. So, so what's his motivation for asking this question? He's looking for what we call a loophole. He wants out of it. He says, well, I've done all these things, but who's my neighbor? You know, it's kind of like the lawyer and the joke. Uh, the, the last one I told about, about uh, the farmer, he says, did, did you say at the accident that you were fine? All he wanted was a yes or no. If that guy would have said yes, case closed. But he got to tell the whole story. There wasn't a loophole there, and it's the same thing. This guy's looking for kind of a loophole, kind of a way out. Why do you think he feels the need to justify himself? Why do we so often feel the need to justify our own actions or our own inactions? This question, how do you think it, it helps him to justify himself? He says to Jesus, to teacher, they're trying to kind of trap him. He says, well, who is, who is my neighbor? I think he's expecting Jesus to say something along the lines of, well, those who uphold the law, as you do, clearly are your neighbor. Or, or those who worship, as you worship, are your neighbor. Or those who do all the proper ceremonially clean things are your neighbor. You see, after all, Jesus has an audience listening and many people in this audience are wanting to hear him say something that's blasphemous so they can catch him, so they can trick him, so they can prove that he was a fraud. But when we get to the heart of the matter of this parable, and it really starts, in my opinion, right around Luke 25, verse 30, uh, it goes like this. The story that Jesus tells is the background of it. The story takes place on the road between the city of Jerusalem and in the mountains and the city of Jericho about 20 miles away in the Jordan River Valley. Watch this first clip.
Wow. Our our poor friend, <laughs> he's, he's walking and, uh, you know, the terrain between the cities was rough. It was desolate. It probably wasn't like that at all, just so you know, <laughs> okay? Um, he didn't have a shoe on his head. He didn't have a pet lobster. Um, but the terrain between these two cities, it was rough. It was desolate. Very few people lived along this road because of that. And it was frequented by robbers. Uh, at times, used they used tricks. And, and this was something, as I was researching some of this, they would use tricks like this where they would have one of their friends appear to be injured and by the side of the road. And someone would stop by and as you're tending to their needs, uh, the others could attack them easily. And so it, it's not really an uncommon thing for Jesus to use this as that kind of an illustration for them. And, and so... Keep that in mind as we get, get on to our next part. We don't want to be too judgmental on the first two men who just walked by. And there are different people mentioned in this story. We're going to take a look at them as well. I saw some of you singing along. Uh, here's the thing. It wasn't the mayor, okay? It, it was a priest who walked by first. And the person who was robbed would be understood by these people to be a Jew. The priest and then the Levite, they're Jewish religious leaders who have a good knowledge of God's law. And the final person in the story is the Samaritan, a person from the province of Samaria. And what you need to know is the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was very similar to the relationship between the Jews and Arabs today or to any relationship that's marked by strong racial or cultural prejudice for that matter. You see, the Jews considered Samaritans as social outcasts. They were untouchables. They, they were racially inferior and they, they felt that the Samaritans practiced a false religion. They avoided any association with Samaritans. And traveling long distances, they would go out of their way to avoid passing through a Samaritan area. They avoided all close physical contact. They would not drink water from a common bucket or a common well that Samaritans used. They would not eat dinner or any meal with a Samaritan. Um, to do that would make a Jew ceremonially unclean. And that means that they were unable to participate in worship. So if they were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, they wouldn't be able to participate in worship for a period of time. You see, the Samaritans naturally responded with strong dislike or hatred for the Jews, understanding this prejudice that they had. And it makes the end of Jesus' story all the more surprising to us. Let's watch this one.
Apparently, the, it, it, it's repetitive, okay? They, they keep going with how busy they are, all right? Here's the thing. We're not sure what was really taking place. After all, it is a parable. But when you, when you really get to the heart of the matter, the, the second, um, Jesus answers the lawyer's second question when he says, who is my neighbor? With a big surprise in the story. That there's a Samaritan as the hero, first of all. And it's the Samaritan that is used to show God's love and mercy. Kids, why would we expect the priest or the Levite to stop and help the person? Why would you expect that? Go ahead, Kate. Okay. Yeah, he was a Jew and priests were supposed to help people. Hannah? Yeah, the priest was a believer in God and, and we should all be helping. Yeah, well, in the video, the doctor could have helped, but in the story, it was, it was a priest and a Levite who was, who was like a, a mini priest, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, but they all, they all had the ability to help. A mini priest, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> they, they all had the ability to help, and they didn't. But, but here's the thing. They all gave reasons. They had different, different reasons for walking on the other side of the road. As we know, to touch someone for a priest, to touch blood makes him ceremonial unclean, which means he can't go and perform his duties. But what are the reasons the Samaritan would have had for going on by? Why, why, why could the Samaritan say, you know what, I can't help? You guys know? Go ahead, Hannah. Yeah, they, they, well, in the story on the, on the video, their towns were against each other, okay? But what about with the, the Jews and the Samaritans, Kate? Okay, yeah, if the Samaritan helped the Jew, his friends could have given him a hard time for it. He could have rejected him. So the, there are a lot of reasons, one, one of, of many, um, and, and those are great answers, guys. But the Samaritan stopped to help. Do you know what Jesus' point in his story was for having the Samaritan show brotherly love toward the Jew and treat him like his neighbor? We're going to watch this last clip, number four, and... Uh, it kind of wraps it all up for us. Someone else on the road overhead, would they? Know a friend beaten up, left for dead? Oh, look, on his head, not a shoe but a pot. Why, this little guy was from Jerry Lot. Would he help a Plidian? Certainly not. The boy with the pot saw our friend with the shoe. Oh, look. He exclaimed. All right, the little guy from Liberty Plot or wherever, <laughs> Liberty Lot, he's the Samaritan in case I got to catch the adults up. The guy with the pot on his head was the good Samaritan, okay? Um, and, and he did what was right. He was the example of love and mercy 
and Jesus' grace and forgiveness. Now, for those of you who are sixth grade and over, I have some questions for you. I'm not going to make you answer them out loud as to don't want to incriminate anyone, but I just want you to think about these things. Which one of these men would you like to emulate? Which one of these men would you like to be like? I'll tell you this, because if, if we're brutally honest, more times than not, we act like the priest or the Levite. We, we usually think of ourselves kind of like the mayor of Flibberoloo. We're, we're much too busy to get involved in someone else and what they have to do. See what I did there? <laughs> Verse 36 and 37, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of the three acted like a neighbor to the victim of the robbers? And the answer was obvious, the Samaritan. How does this story answer the lawyer's original question on who is my neighbor? In the conversation between the lawyer and Jesus, it changes. Now it becomes really who is testing who. This lawyer stands up to test Jesus. And when Jesus gets to the end of his story, he's actually testing the quote unquote professional who knows all the answers before he asks the question. What final test does Jesus leave for the lawyer? It's four simple words. Go and do likewise. What we don't know is if he passed the test or not, because it doesn't continue to tell us that the lawyer went out and served all of the Samaritans or that the lawyer went out and did something great with his life. But he leaves him with that simple test. Go and do likewise. Now you know. Go and make a difference with this knowledge. As the praise team comes forward today, I have just a few closing questions for you to consider. What are people like who love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind? What does that really look like? How should we relate to other people? To really love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, how do we relate to other people? How would you take this story and apply it to your own life? Who do you want to be? The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan? Better yet, how does Jesus want us to live? What, what kind of person needs to hear the story that Jesus told to the lawyer? Every single one of us. I'm convinced that if we would just walk out of our houses and take off our neighborhood blinders, we would see our community through the eyes of the Good Samaritan. We often talk about how busy we are as an excuse to not get involved in someone's life. A priest and a Levite left someone on the side of the road alone, unattended to die. Let's justify that for just a minute. They didn't know him. It, it could have been a trap. They were too busy. They had to stay ceremonially clean. What's our justifications? As I was preparing this sermon, just this week, I saw all kinds of things on the news. A nine-year-old girl dies because her stepmom and her grandmother make her run for three hours without water because she ate a candy bar after school. Her punishment was to run around in the yard for three hours. The next day, there's reports that neighbors called a check on her and then say, well, we saw that happening and thought it was very odd. I, I see all these things going on in our community that tell me we have people. And I see all these things going on and, and I see that we are definitely 
in short supply of Samaritans. And I wonder why that is. And then I look right here in this building, in this very room, and, and I see that we have people, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that some of us have known for years, and we know things about them. We know that their marriages are struggling. We know that their family relationships are strained. We, we know that they're having a tough time getting a job or that, that something just isn't right in their life. And yet we walk by on the other side of the hallway. We can look into each other's eyes every Sunday morning and we can see pain and we can see self-disappointment and we can see just by shaking each other's hands and giving a hug where we really are in life. And yet we say to ourselves, I'm, I'm too busy. It's, it's not my problem. I don't want to hurt their feelings by imposing in their life and asking questions that aren't mine to ask. Oh, we give a wave. We ask the obligatory, how you doing question on Sunday mornings. And now listen, I'm not trying to single out just the people here at Huntsville Christian Church. Those of you who are listening on our podcast, um, I'm including you in this too. And you'll hear it later on this week. But brothers and sisters, I will tell you this. I will risk offending you. The elders, myself, Andy, we will risk offending you rather than to leave you on the side of the road beat up, exposed and left for dead by Satan. I will risk offending you for that. We will risk hurting your feelings to get to the heart of the matter of where you are in life. Because if we're truly going to spend a year with Jesus, if we are truly going to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of life, if we're truly going to impact our community for him, we have got to be willing to go to one another in love and say, how are you doing? And mean it when we do it. And listen to the response. And then act accordingly. With accountability, with love, with prayer. With bringing people alongside one another. We may have to risk hurt feelings to get to the heart of the matter. But I would rather you be slightly embarrassed and even a little bit mad at me for coming to you with accountability and tough love than to allow you to suffer quietly and alone while Satan dances on your life. Now let's consider the original question. What must I do to receive eternal life? It's actually quite simple. This starts with Acts 2.38. We're told to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've just gone off track. It's simple too. It's called rededication. You, you confess that you've allowed the world to take your focus off God. And you commit to change that. Maybe you're just struggling with something and you need prayer. The elders are here. And for that matter, the person next to you is here. And they can pray with you just as well as the elders can. Maybe you're ready to impact this community. You don't want to just walk around this community with neighborhood blinders on. You want to walk through this community with the ability to make a difference. I want to challenge you to make that decision. Partner with us. Let's impact our community. Whatever is on your heart. If God is calling you, answer. Don't wait. Don't be like the Levite or be like the priest. Don't, don't skirt around these things. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but he's calling every one of us to do something. And the bottom line is what he's calling us to do will honor him, not us. And that's why we're here. I want to pray and I want you to stand and sing with us as I do.
Father God, I thank you for today. And Lord, my prayer is simple. I just ask for your help so that we can go out and live like the Samaritan in the parable lived. That we can go out into this community, that we can look for those who need to know you, those who are hurt. We can bandage them. We can bring them in. We can love them in the same way that you love us. Lord, I pray that as we leave here this week, we'll honor you. I pray that we'll realize the importance of your mercy and your grace over the outward appearance of how ceremonially clean we appear to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.